Paul. So how's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Long time no talk. Yeah, it's been it's been what feels like ages. I think it's like a week and a half. I just want to say a very happy Diwali belatedly to all our listeners celebrating Diwali. And uh, I live in North Birmingham, so if you hear a lot of explosions, that's it's because it's Diwali as we record this. Right, very good. Yeah, well, I, I, funnily enough, as we talk, I, I've just come back from India. Did you have a good time? Well... I was in Delhi, so it's it's dirty, noisy, very, very crowded, and there's a million people trying to hawk things at you every second. So not unlike Old Trafford, you might say. <laughs> um, did you did you see the games in? Uh, did you go and see the games with with anyone, or were you just watching those in the hotel? No, I actually went to a, a bar to watch United versus Chelsea. That was not good. Oh no, I can imagine. No, yeah, and um, I. Uh, Watched about an hour of United versus Manchester City before falling asleep. That's right. Me and Tom on the what's on the Rankcast WhatsApp. Me and Tom told Ed to go to bed because it was like crazy o'clock in the morning, and this was during the first half when it looked like United were not going to do anything at all. We we're like, just go to bed. It's not worth it. And Ed was like, yeah, but what if we win? Um, so sorry about that, Ed. Yeah. So I watched it. And I watched it in the second half back. Uh, the day afterwards. So that's a bit better the second half, wasn't it? Anyway, Considerably. Uh, uh, Chelsea. Let's not talk about Chelsea too much. That was awful. Proper, proper, really, really bad. Yeah, I just, I know, you know, when we were like preparing the show beforehand, um, you were saying, you know, it's 10 days ago, people don't need to kind of listen to us talk about that. But I feel like, I just feel like I owe it to you really to give you, you know, a, a platform to discuss Daily Blint's performance in that game, having advocated his case so strongly so many times. Yeah. Well, Blint was awful, but he's, I mean, really, really bad. Right up there in the top three worst performances Blint has had for United. And there's been some bad ones. But... And there's a big but here because I think he saved just a little bit because his partner in crime, Chris Smalling, whatever's worse than that, that's Smalling got to an 11 on badness for defending because he was definitely culpable in every single goal. It's amazing. I'm not sure that you could say he was public enemy number one in any of those goals. Maybe, maybe his mistake is worth worse than any of the midfielders mistake for the Conte goal. But... At least public enemy number two in every single one of them. And, like, he's just in all the photos. It's brilliant. Somebody put it together. Like, he's just in all the photos of the Chelsea players celebrating because he was just there but not there, wasn't he? Well, that's true. And and that's uh, exactly what he was doing for the goal after, what, 30 seconds or something. Uh, how that ball goes through three United players... I just don't know. I mean, it's criminal defending. And it was just, that was the performance uh, all all round, wasn't it? Just criminal, really, really poor defensively. That's one for the stats, people. United had more possession and more shots and more corners than Chelsea in that game. Go figure. Well, I mean, actually... You know, it's that's the re- that's where stats are at their most kind of they, the most in need of interpretation, aren't they? Because teams that are behind generally have more possession, and we were behind from within thirty seconds. What? Why did David de Gea do what he did? What did he see? What did he think was about to happen? I, I just I understand absolutely nothing about his decision making there. Uh, yeah, me neither. Very odd. I mean, I, I think Blint. I'd go Blint, De Gea, Smalling in order of culpability for that particular goal because Blint switched off to let the player go past him. De Gea, I don't know what he was thinking because he seemed to run to where the ball wasn't even there. And then Smalling just, 
instead of making sure that Blint definitely had his man, he kind of just assumed Blint had his man and then completely switched off. That's what it looked like to me anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that you wonder whether this might have a long-term impact on Mourinho's thinking, right? So he didn't actually make too many changes for the League Cup game, did he? But you just wonder whether at the back of his mind he's now thinking about players he's he's thinking that he might ditch at some point. Because it, it was pretty catastrophic in the same way that United losing to Leicester a couple of years ago was catastrophic on how Van Gaal was thinking. Would, it, would this be the same thing? Well, well, in January and the next summer, we find that some of the players who were particularly bad in that game at Chelsea will be out the door because this is the thing that Mourinho doesn't care about, you know, bossing possession and controlling the game. And, you know, as we know, he definitely, he definitely, definitely cares a lot about defensive mistakes. And, and he will have looked at those stats and said, Hey, we're in control for a lot of this. And defensive mistakes cost us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, The one that I found almost the least forgivable was Chelsea's third goal. So when we were kind of getting really back into that game and we, we were on top and he brought Mata on and it made such a big difference and we looked like a team again. But then Mata and Valencia just combined to complete. This wasn't a goal where we were caught on the break. They just combined to completely switch off and let Hazard free in the box. And that, that one that one just seemed like, oh my goodness, this was so avoidable. And we were still in that tie. For the first time in the game, really, we were in the tie at 2-0. I think... I think um, really one of the massive ways of explaining that game and explaining our season as a whole is something which hasn't really been looked at enough, I don't think. And that is the collective psychology of United in the post-Ferguson era, because you have all these players wearing this shirt, knowing they're letting it down, as it were, you know, knowing they're not doing what is the kind of minimum expected of them and wanting so desperately to do it, having so much to prove. And yet there's a kind of collective fragile mentality. And Mourinho's got to address that and he's got to address it in a more sophisticated way than just shouting at players he think is weak, you know, and just isolating people and all that kind of stuff. He's got to be a bit cleverer than that, I think. Yeah, well, we'll see whether he is anymore because when it all went a bit pear-shaped at Chelsea... Uh, he wasn't a bit cleverer than that. Um, anyway, that was that was a nightmare at Stamford Bridge. Then we move on to just before just before we move on on that point. I this is obviously not advocating for Mourinho to be sacked. I think unless he punches someone in the face, unless he punches Bobby Charlton in a touchline fracas, he should have two seasons at United minimum because it would be ridiculous to act on you know to not give him a proper chance to do work. Anyway, um, the. It was a bit worrying that he didn't do anything different at 1-0 down because you would think that a manager who is kind of famously reactive and famously trains his teams to within an inch of their life on different match situations, like this is how we're going to set up if we're 1-0 down at this point, there was just nothing until half-time and that was a, that was a big worry. Yeah, uh, and actually this this is a manager who used to make uh, big calls and big changes before half-time, you know, He'd quite happily take two or three players off. Anyway, so... That was terrible. We move on to the derby in the League Cup and, and Mourinho doesn't make too many changes, um, but uh, City do. And I suppose this is, you know, it's like in the end it doesn't matter, right, because United won, but uh, it matters in terms of it gave United a little bit of a, little bit of a chance of some confidence going into the game. But for a, a half, an hour, 
this was properly dreadful, turgid stuff. I mean, there really weren't that many chances in the whole game, full stop, even though it got a bit livelier after half-time. And, and although United looked secure at the back, there wasn't much going forward at all. And I, I don't know whether Ibrahimovic's performance in the derby was worse or his one against Burnley. Probably Burnley because he missed a lot of chances. But he was properly bad. Yeah, the, into the ninth game of not scoring any goals or one goal in nine, now one in ten. Um, but not too many of the forward stars in that game at all. Turgid. Yeah, I mean, definitely the first half, I would agree with all of that. I think Ibrahimovic improved a lot in the second half. He did a couple of uh, very nice uh, bits of work, uh, a couple of, uh, of really important uh, moments in that in that second and the assist yeah, of course abso- yes absolutely and and in the last 10 or 15 minutes he was really instrumental in helping United control the game and you know so I think he I think they were big positives to his performance against City but but you know in that first half so, so I kind of feel like you need you really we really need to take these two halves completely separate because in the first half it was a team that looked completely flat completely devoid of attacking identity they weren't defending in a block and springing out on the counter attack nor were they uh, trying to impose themselves on the game it was all very meh it was all kind of pretty tepid city didn't really offer much so united didn't really have to do much luke shaw got skinned um on the left flank over and over again a whole bunch of times yeah, yeah. but then very kind of hearteningly after what had happened at Chelsea a few days beforehand and after that first half, they found themselves in that second half. And that was really, really nice to see. And I think people that were at that game will take away the memory of that second half as being one of the better moments in recent times watching United because City brought on Aguero and Sterling and were kind of more a recognisable version of themselves, although obviously some massive players missing for them. Um, but United really imposed themselves. They made that Pogba chance where he hit the, the post, a good save from Caballero, and that was a, just absolutely phenomenal play on the right-hand side from Herrera and Mata in particular, who were both the stars of the show again. And then Zlatan fired that ball in, Herrera took one for the team, and uh, Mata scored, and it was, you know, that was it was a big result, and it was it was good, it was important, it was well timed. Yeah, and a bit of confidence didn't last too long, though, did it? Well, I mean, it depends how you analyse it, doesn't it? I mean, that Burnley performance was hardly a team short of attacking identity, was it? No, no, thirty-seven shots—that's more than anyone has ever had in the Premier League, at least since they started counting these things properly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, amazing. In that sense, uh, most of them were blocked. Um, so I guess you could give good credit to Michael Keane and his fellow Burnley defenders there. For Michael Keane and some other defenders we've definitely heard of and could definitely name. Honest, honest. Zlatan had 12 shots. Um, not many of them hit the goal. He's, a, he's, a, he's in trouble, isn't he, Zlatan? He's looking like a 35-year-old. Yes, it, you know, there's those um, quotes. I haven't got them to hand, but the quotes that... Mourinho gave about um, Carrick. He's a wonderful player. Um, I wish we could turn back the clock. You, ca- I can't expect the same of him that I expect of Rashford and Herrera. And I was just thinking, easily, easily, easily could be talking about Ibrahimovic here. I don't think any of us... Do you remember when Moyes came and he played Rio Ferdinand every game? in that mm-hmm. f- that first run of games. And we were talking about, listen, this is really going to backfire. He is not managing him properly. This is not how you use Rio Ferdinand. 
it felt like that all over, it's feeling like that all over again. I don't understand why he isn't using Ibrahimovic in a cleverer way because I don't think we're in a Rooney situation here. I don't think Ibrahimovic is gone. The first few weeks of the season show that, that there's more good moments per game than there ever have been from Rooney in recent times, uh, even when he's playing badly. But he needs to be rotated in and out of that team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he looked, I mean, especially against Burnley, he looked extremely leggy. Uh, didn't he? Just just slow. I mean, when Rooney came on, him and Ibrahimovic were having a race to see who's the slowest. Um, I mean, amazing stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, he's just got he's got to take some time out. I mean, it seems like he doesn't fully trust Rashford and Martial uh, either or or both to play up front. I mean, it's got to be it because he's playing Ibrahimovic in the Premier League, Europa League. And the League Cup, which is pointless. Um, and he's playing a lot of games as a result. But, you know, he'd played more minutes in the Premier League than any other striker or something like that. You know, one of those, another one of those dumb... Played 900 minutes. In, I mean, plus plus injury time in every game. And, and you know, Carrick's played 12 Premier League minutes. So, you know, that kind of shows you they're obviously not being managed in the same way. It's uh, yeah, and, and Ibrahimovic is a pretty remarkable physical specimen, and he can still do incredible things. And you know, he very nearly scored an absolutely incredible goal yesterday. That Tom, one of Tom Heaton's few good saves in among the many like saves you'd expect him to make type saves that he made um, was that one from that bicycle kick. But that sitter he missed at the end. I mean. You know, it's a little bit unfortunate in a way because it kind of shines such a spotlight on that moment. The the fact that his, the fact that he's got one in ten before that, but you can't miss a chance like that in a game like that, can you? Is that? I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter what game it is. Game park football, you still can't miss that chance. That, that was just horrendous. I mean, he's a he's a yard and a half out, and he's not even moving across the goal that quickly. Uh, I, d- I don't know how he's missed that. that. That's his touch gone, his focus gone, something. Mm, absolutely. I mean, people complain that he smiles after he misses chances and uh, that doesn't really upset me because I think you've got to let a player like that manage his brain in his own way. It was a bit annoying when he was all jovial after the Chelsea game. That that did make it feel all a bit like, oh, this is just Ibrahimovic's farewell tour. But... I don't know. I, I I don't think I don't think he's not trying hard, and I don't think like you know his movement is he he's very selective about his movement. He will absolutely stroll if he can stroll, but I don't think he's doing that because he's lazy or lacks desire. I think he's doing that to save energy for the moment. Yeah, but it means that he's not he's just not putting them away in the moment. You know, United mm, have that's, a, a, yeah. another stupid stat. United have missed more big chances as defined by Opta than any other team this season. Sixteen of them. Yeah, I looked up the definition of uh, those big chances, and they are chances one on ones or chances that a player would reasonably be expected to score. Or, or put it another way, the xG was three point four yesterday which is kind of off the charts almost that's a, that's a big number it's a big xg number and and you know should we let's talk about some of the we don't really do refereeing decisions very often on this show but um i let's let's talk about some of those refereeing decisions because i think the general consensus among the united fan base is that clattenberg had a terrible game Why is um, it? <laughs> uh, what did you make of his performance. Well, I, look, I think United probably should have had two penalties and quite possibly could have had three. Um, and 
Herrera has got to be one of the most unlucky players to ever get sent off, ever. I mean, the first one, he's late, but he's trying to pull out. And he's trying to explain to the ref, I'm trying to pull out of that tackle. Um, and he's barely touched the guy. And the second one, he's just, his studs are gone. And he's definitely not trying to make a tackle. And he's kind of fallen into the player. Um, so I, I don't know whether Klassenberg's seen it and he's just being an ass and going, well, you touched him, so it's a yellow card offence. Or he hasn't seen it, he's just guessing. Not sure. Either way, it's not good. Um, so I think Yandu were pretty hard done by, to be honest. Uh, and, and look, it's not like I think Klassenberg's bent. But I mean, I... Uh, and I guess Mourinho couldn't go to the press conference yesterday because he might have said something along those lines. I just think, I, n- I never particularly like this guy because he's one of those referees that does seem to like to be part of, you know, the narrative of the game, doesn't he? And, and he made some big calls and got them wrong, I think. Yeah, that Herrera one, I do have some sympathy for him because I was watching it from the Bobby Charlton stand and I couldn't tell in real time whether it was a slip or a late tackle with his studs up that he kind of was trying to pull out of. But obviously the replay makes it incredibly clear that there's there's he barely touches him and it's, you know... He he puts his studs up because he's moving forward, and and it is in the act of trying to stop himself that that that, that his heels kind of go down and his the, the top of his feet come up for just from the momentum of trying to stop him stop himself and the slippery uh, ground, and it, it kind of almost looked like a lunging challenge at first, but it obviously wasn't, and lots of people in the ground knew that it wasn't at the time. The one thing I wonder about it is. You know, one of the things is you've got to be in control, haven't you? A, a reckless challenge can be a yellow card. So obviously, if you slip, you're not in control. Um, I have no idea what the inter- where, how the interpretation of that would be, but it all felt very harsh. And I, the other thing that Nick, uh, Man United Youth, pointed out to me after the game was it looked like it took a long time between Clattenburg raised the yellow card and the red card, almost as if... He just went to book him as a kind of matter of course, and then he realises, oh, no, wait a minute, I've already booked him, uh-oh. And he might not have done that if he'd, if he'd been aware. Well, that, that's not very good refereeing, is it? Where's the consistency? Yeah, sure, but, you know. I wouldn't mind slipping into Klassenberg with my studs up. <laughs> um, D- Damian, was that a, was that a penalty? It, it, it kind of looked like it from one... I think so, yeah. I think so. He's cut inside the player and he's clearly caught him. The, the, only, the only thing is, was it inside the penalty area? Right, so it was right on the right on the edge. He was definitely trying to buy it as well, though, Damian, wasn't he? He was he was definitely kind of trying to put his leg yeah in the place where it would make contact. So right, that, that's okay, sure. But it, it means that it kind of looks like a dive sometimes when you when they do that. You hey, know. look, Gary Lineker would have scored minus naught goals for England. <laughs> Um, what were the other ones that should have been handball? There was the, the, the should have been a pen. There was the handball where he turned in with his arms a little bit out. Yeah, that one, and, and maybe that's harsh. not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and of course Flanagan should have gone for what was a, a real handball late in the game. Right, I didn't and see that. He'd at already all. he'd already well he got he'd done two bad fouls before that. What he got a yellow card for one of them, um, uh, where he clattered Herrera. Mike clattered him. For the first one as well, and then the handball that he, he almost certainly should have gone for um, over on the left-hand side of the Burnley defence. So, I mean, you know, a few a few big calls from Glastonbury that didn't go United's way. And I'm not surprised Mourinho is already facing a charge for saying that Anthony Taylor would have a difficult time officiating in the United-Liverpool game. 
which, you know, given that there were a week's worth of papers saying he lived in Manchester, Altrincham, by the way, but, you know, um, and uh, and therefore he was bent. I'm not quite sure what that meant. In in, what, in which direction? Is he supposed to be a blue or a red? And, and you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure that Mourinho has actually insinuated that Anthony Taylor couldn't officiate neutrally. Uh, but anyway, he's going to go and get himself a fine uh, and then he's got himself sent off at half-time in this game. So he's going to get a fine for that one. Does anyone know why yet? Because when I, I was writing about it this morning and there was nothing out on the wires about why it was. I mean, the, the assumption... Well, I'm sure, I'm sure he's gone and had to go at the referee yeah, at half-time, right? Surely. Because yeah, he was absolutely... Or said something to the... He was fuming after the Damian one, wasn't he? Yeah. I was a bit, I was a bit annoyed with Mourinho for getting himself sent off, to be honest. I feel a bit like sort of letting the team down a bit, really, to do that there. That's a bit... We kind of... We need... You know, that's a game where the margins were obviously very fine. Even by half-time, you know, United had had some good chances and, and it was like, is this going to be one of those days? And I don't know, you got you kind of got an obligation to keep your head, haven't you, a little bit in that situation? Oh, I guess so. Fergie's got himself sent off before though you know yeah so of course it's all the best here and we knew what we were buying with Mourinho <laughs> it did lead to undeniably my highlight of that game which was um so at one point that you got Mkhitaryan Martial Fosu Mensah and Bailly all sitting in a line and after half time, I spotted that Rui Faria was on the touchline and then there's a kind of rumors started to go around the press box like oh Mourinho's been sent to the stands and then Mourinho comes and he sits with the fans for a bit and then some people come and talk to him and they're kind of pointing up and he goes back to sit next to where those players are. And then when it comes to the substitutes, uh, you've got um, Ricardo, what's his name, was doing the running back and forward uh, between, between the bench and Mourinho. But he's down at the bench when Mourinho wants to activate project substitute. So he sends... Timothy Fosumensa down the stairs towards the bench. Fosumensa gets halfway down where there's a member of staff sat there and he starts telling this member of staff what the instructions are. Mourinho then is going absolutely apoplectic, like standing up in the in the um, gantry, pointing down like, no, you go all the way and tell him yourself, tell him yourself. And so like Fosumensa is like grinning up at him, runs down, tells the people on the bench, then kind of grins and runs back up the stairs and Mourinho gives him a big pat on the back. Um, I tweeted about this and the Chelsea fan retweeted it going, yeah, this is Mourinho uh, fulfilling his promise to make use of youth. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Yeah. That was quite good. Yeah, there's some truth in that, of course, yeah. No, uh, but Fossi Mensah got it terribly wrong because Fellaini came onto the pitch. So, you know, that's definitely that wasn't the call. Hey, listen, out of the two people that came on in that moment, I was happier to see one than the other, I have to say. So what do you make of the substitutions in, in the Burnley game to, to pivot to that? It's um, I thought he kind of got them wrong. He robbed United of some momentum. I mean, Mata was having a fine game and he's pulled him off because, well, he has to uh, or something like that. Um, and, and some of the others didn't seem to kind of fit with the the flow that United were trying to create. I think they're three of the worst substitutions I can remember, to be honest. So um, at 37 shots, I think, and six of those in the 24 minutes after the substitutions were made. So we had 16% of our shots in the last 24% of the game. I, I did the maths earlier for an article, um, which kind of just shows that our chance creation slowed down at the time when you would expect it. Even though we went down to 10 men, we were no less dominant, 
you would expect the chance creation numbers to kind of go up as we're really pushing for a winner, but instead they the, the rate of chances slows down. And it's no surprise because Mata was integral to them. I, taking him off was it was just literally stupid. It was it was you can understand it. Go down to ten men. He's looking to kind of solidify things and reshape things a bit. But Burnley were offering nothing uh, unless he was absolutely terrified that that kind of makeshift back four were going to badly let him down. It seemed very regressive. And then, you know, I was talking to a friend who was in the North East quadrant and he said when um, when Rashford came on and Memphis came, Rashford came off and Memphis came on, that was when loads of fans just got up and left. It's like... <laughs> Gosh. Uh, yeah. But, you know, did anyone in that stadium, apart from maybe Memphis and Mourinho, think that that was going to work as a sub? No, I mean, he's pulled off all those attacking players, Rashford, Massa and Lingard. Um, and I'm pretty sure Rooney, Depay... And Fellaini is not an upgrade on that. Um, of course, Rooney went into sort of deeper midfield role and Pogba pushed forward, which he actually, you know, gave, gave you know, Pogba was really pushing at the end, wasn't he? He was the one that really was um, seeking out victory. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought, you know, the substitution didn't help United at all. It seemed to rob United of what momentum momentum they had. Um, and And in the end, last few minutes, I wasn't, you know, it's not. It wasn't even like in a game of thirty-seven shots. It wasn't even as if you felt confident that they were going to snatch the last-minute winner. A special mention at this point to Marcus Rocco's ninetieth-minute forty-yard, thirty-five-yard shot. Oh my god! <laughs> Just, I mean, like, we couldn't exactly say what Tom said <laughs> on the Rankast WhatsApp because it would it would be slander. Uh, and and libel in print. He'd have, he'd have to beep it himself. <laughs> Let, let's just say that he um, suggested that uh, Marcus Rocco is not the most intelligent uh, and maybe of uh, you know swine type nature. Um, it was really, really, really dumb because we did have some pressure at that period. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think. Rooney's doing a really good job of putting pay to any notion that he has any utility in the squad at all at this point. Maybe that's too harsh, but he was pretty dreadful when he came on. There were numerous times when he slowed the play down because his first touch meant that he had to take the ball inside rather than continuing its momentum outward. Uh, There was his shot from the penalty spot, which he skied. There was losing the ball on the right wing, I think it was. Um, just, Just sad, really. Just like... Yep, this is, this is what we expect. We know we know that Rooney's not good when he's not fit, right? And, and he's not fit because he's hardly played at all. So uh, I'm afraid he's now caught in a catch-22. He's not going to be playing well when he comes on for a few minutes and he doesn't deserve any more than a few minutes. And I think that is just about all the negatives I've got for that game out of the way. And I think it's probably now worth talking about some of the many positives that existed in that game because... An unfortunate sending off, a few penalties that should have been given, and a little better finishing for Ibrahimovic, and that one, that one is out of sight. I mean, right, hit the post. Well, Matt hit the post, excellent shot, and and one came off the bar. You know, there's there's a lot of ill fortune in not winning that game. Yeah, and uh, the the good things included Shaw's looking a bit more fit and a bit kind of more assertive and ready. Like he was much better in the second half against City than he was in the first. Pogba in the last 20 minutes of that game, but but really in the second half in general, he was absolutely magnificent. He was magnificent. He really deserved more out of that game uh, from the people ahead of him. Um, 
it was one of those times where you just look and go, yep, this is why, this is why we bought him. This is why everyone talks about him in the way they do. It was a, a truly kind of outstanding just awareness and ability to deliver the ball and not everything he tries works, but he's such a, like he's very, very, very bright on the ball. Like he's so intelligent and is in his kind of in what he sees. Occasionally there's a bit of trying too hard that comes in and almost clouds that a bit, I think. But when he's on it, his vision is is really superb. Yeah. I, I thought I, I agree. Last twenty minutes he was he was fine. I, I'm not worried about Pogba. I think it'll all come right. Of course the media narrative has to be that he's terrible and he's total waste of money. Uh, but he's come to a brand new country from Italian football, which is very different. You know, you don't have to watch a lot of Italian football to work that out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's still settling in. You know, I think he'll have a fine second half of the season. I, you know, but Mourinho's got to think about what exactly is the balance of his team because he's struggling to do that at the moment. He's struggling to get matter into the right position all of the time, right? Clearly he has to play at 10, Matter. Um but you play at 10 and you have to sacrifice some of Pogba. He's going to have to play slightly deeper. How do you get Matter in at 10 and get Pogba bombing forward as a classic number eight, which is clearly his best position, and get Herrera into the side because he's been fantastic recently, and get Rashford in the side because you have to, and try and get Martial back into the side because surely you have to. You know, I have to say... Honestly, I'm getting a bit worried that Mourinho doesn't rate him because he was fantastic last season, Martial. Apparently got a foot injury, so that's yeah. why. He, so hopefully that's I, true. I know, hopefully that's just that. Just that. Let's hope that. Because he was coming good. I think he, you know, he was coming right. into some form, wasn't he? But I mean, I think against most teams, most teams, certainly at home, there's absolutely no problem playing Herrera and Pogba as a two with Mata ahead of them. Especially, especially if you drop Zlatan, play Rashford through the middle, Martial on the left and Henrik Mkhitaryan, remember him on the right. But even like without him, even you play Lingard there, that's a pretty good attacking unit, isn't it? And, and, I, I, and 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 one that feels balanced as well. Mm, Matter's performance yesterday. I mean, it is a it is a total joke that he was substituted. He was captain, and he put in a an absolute captain's performance in terms of leading by example. I believe he didn't give the ball away once, and he it didn't. Was, it, and he he created eight chances. So it was hardly like he was uh, just doing sideways passes all the time. Uh, no, uh, and and it's not just that. It's that he's substituted, which is it's just too often. I know it's a lot of coaches have done this to him so there's you know it's obviously something they're seeing about his stamina i mean you know i'm not sure i buy it myself but um so it's not it's not just that it's the second part which is there's a difficult game and then Mourinho drops him altogether. oh yeah that's ridiculous right and and that trade-off between Matt and fellaini coming in is just too big it just has such a negative impact Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City in the Premier League. He's done it three times. It's not worked out well. I mean, I think you can easily look at that Burnley game and see it as evidence that everything's basically going to be fine. That, that You know, that fundamentally, this is a team that is a work in progress that's going to come good. And I, obviously, it won't surprise anyone to know that I have a lot of um, natural sympathy towards that point of view. My one big caveat on this is... They have to start properly believing in themselves, that team. It's, it's like Mourinho's biggest challenge is to make them, to, to reduce their fear of failure as a collective. Because I think, 
I don't know. For me, that that was that was playing into that game. It's one of the reasons why it just doesn't quite click. You know, um, you can look at that game and go, it's just one of those days, and it kind of is. But I feel like we've had an above average uh, above average number of just one of those days in recent times that would suggest that actually on those days there is something a bit different. There's something almost a bit lacking in our team, and. You know, the one thing that almost my favourite moment this season so far was Rashford's goal against Hull because it was such a similar game to this one and they kept going and kept going and kept going and made that breakthrough. But the difference there was Mourinho made these really progressive substitutions in that game. Whereas in this game, he made really, he started with a very progressive lineup and then made very regressive substitutions at the point at which there was a, a red card, uh, which it you can't be, it feels ridiculous to be too harsh on him for that because of course you're down to 10 men you you need to make some adjustments but maybe it's just naive to say I just didn't feel like we needed it in that game yeah uh, one one other point on this one and I agree with all that by the way but one other point uh, corners so 19 of them and all of them dreadful just oh, that's not that's as, not true that's not true as, okay that's... so they hit the first man a lot uh, and they just, but but they didn't change it up. Nineteen corners lumped in long every time, and you just wondered whether they wanted to mix it up a little bit by the end of them. So so, um, Wenmaster took almost half of them. Daily Blint took a lot. Rashford took a couple. Matteo Damian took one, which which <laughs> it was short that right. He knocked it short. He knocked right? it short. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, what we clearly needed was Phil Jones on corners. That's what we've been missing all this time. <laughs> Just hit it very hard. God, Van Gogh was a strange man. Anyway, um, the one thing that I've seen from a lot, a lot, a lot of fans is talking to Van Gogh that this was a game that got them out of their seats, got them up, got them excited. The team never stopped trying. There was a lot of attacking intent. There was a lot of excitement, and I think all that is entirely valid in terms in the big in the big positives column. Um, and and I just. I feel a bit like I've focused on the negatives more than I wanted to in this game. So Matt's performance was excellent. I thought Marcus Rocco did very fine at centre-back, which, you know, is the best any of us are hoping for. Um, well, no, 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 no the best that we're hoping for is that he's not in the team or anywhere near the <laughs> squad or even Manchester. <laughs> yeah, yes, sure. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, there, there were plenty of positives from that game. And it, it, it's just that since we last recorded, we played three games. Um, we were absolutely appalling as bad as we've been for years and years and years in the first one of those. Then the first half of the next one, we were not a great deal better than that. Much, much better in the second half. And then way, way better in the two halves against Burnley at home. But it is only Burnley at home and we weren't able to make the breakthrough. So this sense that we just don't know where we are at the moment is hard to let go of. Well, and I'm not sure Mourinho knows where he is, honestly. I mean, he's changed the team around a lot. Uh, We had a, a new midfield against City and a, a new formation, you know, like a telephone number, that one. And um, and he's had players in and out of the side. There's a whole bunch of players. There's hardly, I was looking at this, there's hardly any players that you'd say are both guaranteed starter and know where they're going to play. Valencia, De Gea, Ibrahimovic, and that's about it. You know, and he, because he's moved things around so much. And maybe it's because he's getting used to the, the squad. That's what he says. He says, it's going to take me time. I need to know these players and stuff. 
But at the moment, it's a little Van Hal-esque how much he's changing it. And and so this sense of we don't quite know where we are because United came into this run in the last few games not in great form anyway, you know, and lost a few games earlier this season, got spanked by Chelsea, only just beat City, couldn't beat Burnley at home. So one goal in three games. Um, you know, the sense that United aren't, aren't in a clear direction comes from the fact that I'm not sure Mourinho's in a clear direction. And it seems a bit odd for him, that. Um, but look, we're coming up, we're not even at Christmas yet. Um, so it's not long into the season. He's had 10 Premier League games and a bunch of others. So, I, you know, I guess there's plenty of time for him to get it right. But he's got to show he's getting it right at some point because United are, what, eight points behind the leaders now? So you're starting to think... If it's like this at Christmas, there's no chance of making the title challenge. And and because it's so compressed at the top, United are five points behind fourth. And that's really worrying. Yeah, and it's not like you look at the top of the league and naturally assume that those teams are going to pick up an average of fewer points than they've been picking up so far this season. Um, Chelsea, Tottenham, City, Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, you know, there's five teams there that should be set up to have a non-terrible end of the season, you know, second half of the season. So to start overtaking them, you're going to have to have a very, very good second half of the season. And it's, it's certainly possible. You know, I think it would be, it would be madness to suggest it's not possible, but it doesn't yet feel inevitable, does it? Uh, no, it doesn't feel inevitable that any of those teams will fail. But, you know, one at least one should, maybe two. Um, but it definitely doesn't feel inevitable that United are suddenly going to start picking up way more points. You kind of hope it all clicks, but we've said that before in the last few seasons. So, you know, and, and not to be super negative, I, you know, I don't, I don't think United played badly against Burnley at all. But they weren't good enough to actually finish the job. Um, and the results this season are pretty average, you know, down, down in eighth behind Watford and Everton. I'm afraid that says a lot. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so uh, talking of saying a lot... I think it's about the time in the show where we take a few listener questions. Um, we are going to be doing, as part of our uh, bonus content for Patreon backers, um, at the end of the show we'll do a long Q&A with Patreon questions. Um, I'm just mentioning that now because uh, this show is a product of crowdfunding, so head over to patreon.com slash rankcast if you want to get access to more content at the end of the show and also some cool rewards and stuff like mugs and art prints and all that kind of stuff. I've got loads of mugs on their way to my house, so uh, sign up and Uh, get your hands on one of those Uh, but before we do any of that one thing we always like to make clear is that the show itself doesn't change so just because we've got a Q&A section at the end does not mean we're not going to take listener questions in the show and we've got so many so let's rattle through a few as quickly as we can shall we Ed I mean as many as we can let's do it at special k underscore two three one one says Henrik Mkhitaryan media hyperbolized flop or still settling into a new life and will eventually get into the team no idea Yeah, I also have no idea. And I desperately hope it's the second. I mean, the stories, you know, this this idea that Mourinho doesn't rate him because he burst into tears out after the derby. Um, that's the craziest one I've heard. Uh, there were, there were, there were briefings and counter briefings in the press about his performances in training, uh, which is very odd at this point. There was a story that, that his teammates weren't too impressed with him in training and then a story that he was the first in in the morning in training. And I'm slightly worried that Mina Raiola is placing both sides of these stories in the papers. <laughs> um, but yeah, 
very, very strange situation. Talking of briefing the press, what's Paul Stretford been on at the moment? Because there have been a whole bunch of stories that are a little bit anti-Rooney coming out. No, not anti-Rooney, anti-Mourinho coming out in the papers. Uh, the players are, aren't impressed with him. He's a bit standoff- standoffish. And then the second one, clearly planted by uh, Rooney's people, that one. Um, and then the second one was that the players desperately want Rooney back into the side so he can prove himself as being a top player all over again. Yeah, as I... As I, I don't think as so. As I put on Twitter, that's the play, several senior players, including Wayne Rooney in his own voice, Wayne Rooney in a Cockney accent, and Wayne Rooney having looked up how to say it in a Spanish phrase book. It's, it's obviously nonsense, isn't it? Um, all right. Uh, at Big Don Martin says, which Premier Era United player would add the most balanced benefit to our current squad? Now, my default answer to this question is normally always Roy Keane. And, and obviously, like playing Roy Keane alongside Pogba would be magnificent. But I actually think I'd like to address our biggest problem at the moment. And I think if you put Ruud van Nisselrooy at the head of the rest of this attacking lineup, my goodness He's gracious. He's got an offensive me. amount of goals, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, true. The answer is always Roy Keane. Yeah, obviously. But, but Van Nistelrooy's not a bad second go. <laughs> oh, I just want to do a couple of quick plugs as well. I wrote this article about Roy Keane on Bleacher Report, which I don't normally talk about my articles on here, but uh, it's a, it's I enjoyed writing it and people have said nice things about it. So check that out if you like Roy Keane. Um, and uh, also I made a short film, uh, which I've hardly talked about, Um called The Grip of His Hand, and it is a short film about fathers, sons, and football. Um, if you head to my Twitter account, which is at UTD Rankcast, you'll see it there as the pinned tweet, or just put um, The Grip of His Hand and you max it into YouTube, and uh, you'll find it. And it's 10 minutes long. I, I put I put my heart and soul in it. So uh, so please, if you would uh, be, a, be interested in that at all, do have a watch of that. At, at Stephen Simon uber super duper friend of the show uh says he'd he'd like my professional expertise on the difficult well no i think this is both of ours isn't it on the on the difficulties of working away from home given jose's recent interview now we'll come at this from slightly different angles it's something you've done an awful lot in your life ed uh Mourinho clearly not enjoying living out of a hotel no it's not great living out of a hotel i do it an awful lot uh, Mourinho should get himself uh, an apartment and not live in the Lowry anymore because, you know, it's probably what's going on with him and Mkhitaryan because they're both in the and Pogba. They're in the late night bar every night, aren't they, with the Russian hookers and all that. Mkhitaryan keeps trying to talk to him about, like, politics and economics and arts and he's just like, oh, just leave me alone. I just want to talk about football. Shut up. Um, the, the thing is, he's been away from his family for four, five months now. Four months, I think. That is, I mean, obviously he's seen them and there's Skype and all that kind of thing, but it's very isolating. And, and in a job like his, where the world is constantly swirling around you and, you know, you're at the centre of absolutely everything, to have the kind of normalising effect of family life is, is absolutely psychologically invaluable. So, yeah, that is a situation that needs to be resolved as soon as possible, I would say, because uh, that, that is not something I would put myself through. Yes, Another massive mega friend of the rank cast at United Tarrant says, um, should we make Andra Herrera the captain of the club because he has the midfield bite and tenacity we need? Now, this is a question that's been asked in a lot of places this week. And Herrera, future United captain? Well, I mean, he showed some leadership qualities against City, didn't he? He was the man sort of cajoling his teammates 
um, pointing, organising, doing a bit of shouting. He's a, he's a bit of a rasser in midfield. I mean, all qualities one, um, at least in these shores, seems to associate with being a captain. I, I, I don't, honestly, I don't know how important this is, but he wouldn't do a bad job, would he? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, why not? Yeah, absolutely. And he gave this interview this week saying, um, I'm not English and I'm not from Manchester, but I think hopefully people can tell how much I love this club. And it's very easy to be cynical about interviews like that because you could just be saying it, but I don't think he's just saying it. I think he's somebody that has got the bug in a big way, in that kind of Patrice Evra way. You know? Yeah. I mean, Rooney says stuff like that as well, sponsored by Adidas. Does he, though? Does he really? Does Rooney really ever passionately decry his like deep, abiding love for, for Manchester United? When it's sponsored by Adidas. Um, uh, at Bourne underscore and underscore red says only one explanation for not winning against Burnley Fergie made a deal with the day of all and now we're cursed it's as good as explanation as any yeah well he has been sat with uh, Sam Allardyce recently (laughs) Um, Simon asked another question as well which is how long we think it'll be until United win the league he says he's worried it could be four or five years our friend Darren Richmond then said he thinks that that's optimistic um (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, I don't know because I have no real faith that United are going to get their transfer policy right. And it is really important when you're squad building, you know, the course of manager is really important. uh, But so much of of squad building is done in the market and United are are not showing any great record of that, are they? No. And, um, you know, it's... uh... I was, I've been thinking a lot about Liverpool. I've been thinking a lot about how much hay United fans made over the year of Liverpool saying it's our year. And at the beginning of this season, there's a lot of United fans with the kind of it's our year vibe. Understandable. Like you're supposed to get excited at the beginning of the season. And I definitely thought that it was completely reasonable to suggest that United was set up in such a way as to uh, undertake a serious title challenge this season. But you know, the longer you don't win it, the harder it gets. And that's, I, I don't think that's just a cliche. I think it's true. I think you, you look at what's happened to us, let alone Liverpool, who completely collapsed off the face of the earth and have had two reasonable title challenges in the last 20 years, maybe three. Um, look at what's happened to Arsenal. You know, they, they had a, t- a squad and a team that was was winning or one of the top two season after season after season. And for 10 years, they've not been in the title picture in a, in a re- realistic way. So life comes at you fast, doesn't it? Mm, it does. Well, that's because Wenger's a specialist in failure. <laughs> at Joe Jones 6485 says, early days yet, but should we be worried about top four? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing in this team right now that tells you that United are an automatic top four. Absolutely. At C-P-A-S-C-H-A-L-I, C-Pass Charlie? Chris, anyway. He says, am I alone in thinking Rashford's future lies on the left wing? Now, I think generally in life, whenever you ask the question, am I alone in thinking? The answer is almost always, no, you're not alone in thinking that. But I think you might be here. Yeah. I think I think you might be. I think Definitely you might not be his the best only position. One. Definitely not. He's such a good centre forward. He's so good at centre forward. Um, at Gary underscore 1105, talking about the important issues, says, isn't it nice in these times of uncertainty around United's performances to have Patrice Evra to cheer us all up? Ah, oh, 
one of the best Instagram accounts ever. He's, he is made for the internet, or the internet is made for Patrice Evra. Uh, dancing polar bear. No, polar bear? Panda bear. Panda bear. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. And it was an anti-racism campaign as well. I think he might have tacked that on at the end because he wanted to be a dancing panda bear. But oh, it's just brilliant, isn't it? He's a lovely man. He seems to be a lovely man. At Ali Hud 42 says, who's more of a prima donna, Cristiano Ronaldo or Mark Clattenburg? Well, I haven't seen Clattenburg in his underpants, like with a six pack. But I bet he's got mirrors in his house where he practices holding up a red card. I bet you anything that he does that. Um, at Taylor underscore Taylor Ben says, similar to Klopp at Liverpool, it took a while to get results. Does that make it more annoying that Jose wasn't, Jose wasn't appointed last Christmas? Yeah, you kind of feel like Klopp's got his feet under the table a bit last season and this is kind of happening now. Um, yeah, well, in, in retrospect, United gained nothing from having Van Gaal for a few I months. Completely disagree, Extra. I completely disagree with that because I, I got to go to Wembley and watch him win the FA Cup. That's like absolutely brilliant. Like being at Wembley for the semi-final, Martial scoring that goal, it's one of the best things I've ever seen at a football match. So I think that was a big thing that we gained. Maybe not in terms of long-term structure, but in terms of short-term moment to moment, that was winning the FA Cup was massive. Although um, apparently Mourinho doesn't consider it to be so since the FA Cup wasn't in United's team photo this season. Yeah, right. Yeah, Henrik McTarian was, <laughs> strangely. <laughs> oh, I'd love it if it, it happened, if he comes good. But anyway, at Sean Corras says, why do we not consider Martial as a number nine anymore? Well, just simply because Mourinho's refusing to play him there because the only person who plays at number nine is uh, Ibrahimovic. So we'll see. I mean... He was a very fine number nine when he played at number nine. He really was. And I, I, I'm sure he'll get back there at some point. I mean, the symbolism of him losing that number, it's not just the number that he's lost, is it? It's the position too. Uh, Eve Amar, though, on the other hand, says, am I the only one that's infuriated with the media agenda against Mourinho? You're certainly not the only one. I've seen many people infuriated at that. For evidence, watch the Sunday supplement. Um, he is a uh, manager that very much divides media opinion. He, he gets huge column inches and some people get fed up that he gets so much attention. Um, but yeah, he, he also gets a lot of criticism. A lot. Yeah. Will he be getting criticism after United's next two games? So, you know, I, like I was thinking, I think we mentioned this on the pod that United had a better November. I was just looking through the fixtures. It's not a better November at all. I mean, Fenerbahce away, which is, you know, I know we thrashed them last time out, so it should be easy, but it's never, it's never that easy going that far, you know, four hour flight and whatever. Um, Swansea away. Then it's Arsenal, Feyenoord, West Ham and West Ham. That's, you know, it's not as if that's a gimme November. No, not at all, no. I mean, it's easier than October, that's that's the thing. Right. And October was absolutely brutal. Um, One thing I'd say about November is a lot of home games, uh, but not the next two. No, no. and Two on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we have been better at home, apart from City, the first one. Um, but yeah, Fenerbahce away, all reasonable analysis of this game says that Manchester United are better than Fenerbahce. They will have had, you know, a reasonable chunk, a normal chunk of rest and recovery time after Saturday afternoon's game, even slightly long, you could say, because it's Saturday to Thursday. But we haven't won away from home in Europe since the 26th of August 2015. We've since played 
uh, Michelin's. I, I did this last week, so I won't list the the people that we've played, but we've played a lot of games that should have been considered eminently winnable and not won them. So there's obviously something very wrong with our performances on the road in Europe. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, you know, I'm not sure. Let, let, how, how's Mourinho going to play this? Is he going to say, "Well, we beat them four one last time out. We're going to play an attacking side." Matt is going to be in the side. We're going to go and put right what we did wrong against Burnley by converting all our chances and creating a bunch of chances. Or is he going to go, ah, we're on the road, better put Fellaini in, drop matter, all the momentum and quality in the passing disappears uh, and United struggle in this one. Which is he going to be? Oh, it's a six of one and pick a minute. No idea. Like, absolutely no idea. Uh, hopefully the... First one you said because that sounds a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. Um, uh, So I mean, I'd have played here before, but it's been uh, renovated heavily uh, in recent years. So it's what looks like a very neat and tidy fifty thousand seat ground. Should be uh, a full house. Fenerbahce struggling a bit this season, not just because they got spanked by United last time out, but struggling in the league a little bit and didn't really look very good at Old Trafford either. But uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to be better at home than they were at Old Trafford. Yeah, I mean, you. It seems like absolutely, and mostly, I'm sure United will be worse away than they were at Old Trafford. Unfortunately, um, I I'll be surprised, genuinely surprised, if we win this game because it's been so long since we won away in Europe. And the the one thing I would say is they properly owe it to their travelling support their European travelling support, because, you know, Feyenoord is um, a game where, an away game, which is actually quite a dangerous one in relative terms. Uh, You know, there was lots of warnings and and a few incidents and stuff. And obviously any away trip in Turkey is not the, is, you know, you've got to be pretty bold to go and do it. It's a fairly physically brave thing to do. And if the team turn up and don't look like they're trying, I think that'll be quite bad. Um, you know, if, it, if it's another fire nord, uh, that would be very disappointing. But and and they need a result. They need at least a draw out of this game. Losing this game would be pretty difficult for qualification. Bad. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. No, that's right. Um, and then Swansea afterwards. So and Swansea. Now, now, if we think uh, Fenerbahce were bad, Old Trafford, Swansea are a properly bad team, aren't they? You know, fired their coach Guidolin already. Brought in Bob Bradley. Um, who's done nothing at club level ever, really. You know, obviously a long-time USA coach. Um, that's going to be a bit of a shock for him. And and don't appear to have got much better quickly. No, they've got five points and minus seven goal difference. It's not good, is it? That's like, that is not a good thing. Um, what's their, their, their recent run of form? They managed to draw at home against Watford. Yeah, and, and, and were a bit unlucky in the game against Arsenal. I thought they gave Arsenal a decent a decent game there. They were also a bit unlucky in the game against Liverpool before that at Swansea. So, you know, given that we haven't been... like, I feel like a team that's repeatedly getting a bit unlucky might be quite happy to play us because they're like, oh, well, we're definitely going to be luckier than them because they're running really bad at the moment. They've used up all their luck with that Ferguson deal with the devil. Um, yeah, if we perform anything like we should... And if we haven't, you know, so there'll be no Herrera in that one. I wonder if he will um, play Schneidel in alongside Pogba or maybe even give Michael Carrick a Premier League start. No, Herrera, is he he's suspended, is he? Yeah, of course, because of his sending off. Oh, of course, because he's sending off, yeah. Duh. 
Um, yeah, maybe Carrick will play. Uh, yeah, Schneiderlin is clearly not a Jose favourite. No. Clearly. Although he was good when he came on against City, he, he, he had a very good things up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, we'll see one of them. Um, anyway, I mean, he, uh, I guess Carrick is first choice there, but uh, maybe Schneiderlin gets the game and can prove that he can be a decent squad player because it, it is funny how many players in the squad are just not certain of their positions. Um, uh, Schneiderlin is one of the few who's a bit more certain because he knows he's basically never going to play. So, um, yeah, uh, Schweinsteiger's got his position absolutely nailed down uh, on in the stands. We don't even see him in the stands anymore, do we? He was there on Wednesday night against Wednesday. City. Yeah. Um, I, I said uh, I described him as being on walking in the forest leave because there's just loads of pictures of it on his social media of him in a black coat walking in like autumnal forest scenes. I'm like, yeah, that's you are definitely Looking pensive. Yeah, I'm sad. He was he was in some sort of ornate ballroom, not ballroom, uh, dining room thing today. Um, yeah, apparently he's been banned from even playing for the under 23s. Can only train. This got to be. He's got to have a case for constructive dismissal here, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, I mean, it, was, it would just help everyone out if uh, they found him a club in the winter. Um, it's just the uh, compensation package for his his next two years on his contract or eighteen months or whatever is left. Uh, that is the problem. Yeah, I just I don't know. You just pay that money quickly or slowly, right? You're paying it either way. Uh, very true. Yeah. So, what what's your prediction for these two games, Fenerbahce and Swansea? Uh, oh dear. I'm going to tell you the, the the results that I actually think are going to happen, even though I don't really want to say either of them. I think we are going to draw both of these games. That's why. That's why I think wow. it's going to happen. I think we're going to. You know what? If that if that happens, that's proper pressure on United or Mourinho. Yeah, absolutely. But then you know, then we'll smash Arsenal six nil at home on the nineteenth after the international break, um, or sixteenth. Anyway, yeah, one all against Fenerbahce. And no, one nil to us against Swansea. Come on, we've got to beat Swansea. Oh, you bustled in. I did. Yeah, I you bustled it. in. I couldn't predict two draws. So I think I think United will draw away just because I I think Mourinho will go a bit conservative, which is a mistake. I tell you what, though, he's got to play Herrera. Um, he's got to play Herrera because Herrera's not going to play on Sunday, True. which which might. True. Kind of but he's going to, to play Fellaini alongside him. <laughs> oh, I forgot what I was thinking about midfield options. I forgot about Fellaini. Oh, you've ruined me evening now, Ed. That's who's going to play against Swansea. All right, I am going to predict a draw. Two one-all draws. There you go. Wow. So I'm going to predict predict a draw at Fenerbahce and a United win at Swansea. Let's let's call it two-one. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, uh, I feel like that was a bit of a bit glummer than I expected the podcast to be, but I don't feel generally glum about the overall trajectory of Mourinho's United. Just the kind of medium, short, medium term trajectory is a bit wobbly, but I, I think he'll get there. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at UTD Rantcast. Ed is at United Rant. Um, we're on Facebook, sort of as well. Um, and uh, if you want a bit more of the show, uh, patreoncom Rantcast to uh, sign up there and get access to the bonus content. This week we're going to be talking about some of our favourite cities, and then there's going to be a um, uh, a long Q and A. 
uh, from Patreon backers. And I've had some some lovely feedback from people that have listened that said that's become their favourite bit of the show. So there you go. That's that's a bit of an ad for our Patreon bonus content, which, if you are a backer, is coming up right about now. 